0: A, a discrete number of steps in different traditions and it seems like some of those steps in certain circumstances can be bypassed or uh, like the, jump to the head of the line and sort of, you know, depending they on the practice current. yeah uh, okay yeah so I'll repeat the question so uh, the question was that i had described a sequence of steps in different systems of practice, uh, and uh, that what he said is, it seems that some of these steps. Uh, well, there's very there's differences in these descriptions, and they don't all include all the same steps, which suggests that some of these steps can be bypassed in different systems, and that that is true, depending on the system of practice that you're following. You won't necessarily uh, experience all of exactly the same things. Now, what you do, a a very good example of this, one that is worth mentioning, the Buddha, uh, well, if if we look at the sutras, one of the sutras teaches us uh, that whenever somebody is awakened, that seemed to happen in one of the following ways. Either they attained samatha, And and samatha corresponds to the the stage beyond the ninth stage in Kamalashiva's rendering. Uh, So first you achieve samatha, and then you attain insights, uh, following which you achieve awakening. Secondly is uh, that a yogi may first attain insight following which samatha is cultivated, and in that way achieve awakening. Or samatha uh, and insight may be attained yoked together in some way, and there's various ways they could be yoked together. But they are attained together, yoked together, leading to awakening. And if we refer to these three possible approaches, we'll see we'll be able to understand a lot of the differences in the sequences that happen. In particular, whenever Vipassana is developed before Samatha, there are some difficult, painful stages that uh, a person goes through. So, for example, in the second path, when it is practiced by somebody who is first cultivating the uh, analytical uh, meditation on emptiness. Prior to developing samatha, they go through a very uh, unpleasant state, where uh, they experience a lot of discomfort, suffering, things like that. Likewise, in the Theravadan tradition, with the 16 knowledges, in the middle part of the purification by knowledge and vision of the way, the yogi who is doing what's called a dry insight practice and has not yet developed, Samatha, will go through a series of knowledges that are known as the dukkha Jnanas. Jnana means knowledge, and dukkha means suffering. So they're the the suffering knowledges. And they're they're given the most descriptive names possible, the knowledge knowledge of fear, knowledge of misery, and knowledge of disgust. (laughs) And so this is a reflection of the vipassana before samatha approach. The reason being that when you have samatha, you have profound tranquility and equanimity. You already have a lot of equanimity in place when you have a mind that is in a state of joy. Joy is a mind that is predisposed to to see things in a positive light. When you do dry insight, or when you do the analytical meditation on emptiness, it leads you to a situation where you have intellectually, and uh, you have intellectually this understanding that, well, wow, things really are empty, and the self that I cling to is an illusion, but at the deepest level, you're still firmly believing in the self. So, uh, what you have is a self that has no solid ground to stand on. A self that is living in a world of hurt with no way out. So, the intellectual mind has opened Pandora's box. The gut-level emotional mind says, oh, this is happening to me, that I am condemned to be in this horrible state. Okay. So when you're still attached to self and you see and, and you intellectually understand reality, it can be very disturbing, very painful. If in your meditation practice you've seen the fleetingness of everything, the impermanence. And if you realize that to try to grasp to any of that can only cause you harm, and there is no ground to stand on, then then a feeling of of fear arises. And then when you realize that this is all there is, this is no way, there is no way out, you know, then it turns to misery and disgust. And this can, and I, I think this stage, I, I think in both the second path of the five path system, and in the Dupin of the uh, 16 knowledge system, they use the same terminology to describe the danger that a yogi is in, and that's that. This is called the rolling up the mat state. The yogi can, because this is so terrible, abandon the practice, roll up the mat, and the typical thing they do is they leave the retreat, uh, go to a bar, try to you know try to lose himself in sensory. Uh, distractions to the greatest possible degree. And it's a very unfortunate thing. If they stay with the practice, you know, if if the yogi in either of these traditions stays with the practice, then they'll come to the point where the emotional mind will become exhausted in its misery and its disgust. And the... And, and you know, it's like uh, if you... Well, you know what it's like when you reach the point of emotional exhaustion. In a way, it it gives you, it finally gives you some peace and a little bit of clarity. And it's in that clarity that, that the person can make the resolve that, okay, the only way out of this is to have refuge in the Buddha's enlightenment. That indeed this teaching is real. Indeed, there is something at the end of the path. And therefore, I'll go back. I'll re-enter the fray. I will resubmit myself to uh, to the practice until I achieve the goal and the fruit. So now, if it, if a yogi has developed really strong samatha, then this is a tremendous buffer to to being able to confront these insights with equanimity, uh, with tranquility. And a mind in a state of joy, even when it sees the unpleasant, doesn't see it as being so unpleasant. And so it's much easier to pass through that. The one other path and approach that is beneficial is the more that a person can loosen their attachment to the view of self Because it is the attachment to the personality view that is really responsible for suffering. Your mind generates the emotion of suffering when, you know, the computer processes the information and the result that is generated is bad news, we better suffer, and so suffering is turned on. The bad news, in this case, is the attachment to the personality view, so that the more the person can overcome their attachment to personality view, uh, weaken that attachment before the full brunt of these insights hits them, then the less the less disturbing it's going to be for them. Now, if that's done in combination with samatha, then uh, then it's pretty easy. It's pretty clear sailing. In all of these in all of these methods, though and I mentioned this earlier, there is the union of Samatha and Insight that is necessary to reach the awakening. Because you need the equanimity of the Samatha and you need the equanimity of the Insight together to have enough equanimity that craving ceases. Equanimity is the opposite of craving. You can say equanimity is the absence of craving. Equanimity is non-reactivity, non-grasping, the pleasant, uh, uh, non-trying to avoid the unpleasant. When the pleasant, the unpleasant, and the neutral are all confronted with exactly the same non-reactivity that is equanimity. In other words, there is no craving. So you need the combined equanimity of both insight and samatha. Typically, in these systematic practices, you need the combined insight of both. Uh, to give you the uh, ability to step out of craving. When the cessation of craving occurs, what is revealed is is nirvana. Nirvana is the cessation of craving. Uh, well, the cause of nirvana is the cessation of craving. When craving is gone, nirvana can't be experienced, and it can't It can be, in a sense, the object of consciousness for a period.